like, ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is your man, oh, Matt Johnson. People have been bugging me for years about an interview. A down-to-earth, nose-to-nose, crying-to-crying interview. And with Pablo Podcast, you finally going to get it. And welcome to another edition of Turnchuckle on bbgwrestling.com. I am Pablo, and with me is the 2000 Royal Rumble winner to my Miss 2000 Royal Rumble winner. <laughs> it's Tempest. Hello. Hello. I thought we'd add these as a extra bonus content since we're doing loads of really... In- I say we, I do fuck all from it. There's loads of interesting uh, interviews going up on the Thursdays, but I thought we could fill in times where there's no other interviews by doing like a series so I wanted to pitch the idea. Well, I have pitched the idea because we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> of, um, we'd do like head-to-head WWF and WCW pay-per-view by pay-per-view in 2000 because I know it's a period a lot of people either got into wrestling because WWF was so hot then or it's a time that people just are addicted to dumping on WCW <laughs> from that period. So there's plenty of content to get on with. And I thought we'd start with one that I bet everybody remembers, especially British people who are watching on Channel 4, will go with the Royal Rumble. Yeah, and, and you know, people may laugh at the Miss 2000 Royal Rumble winner, but at least she legitimately won. Whereas the, uh, the Rock, <laughs> you know, spoilers, but uh, The Rock didn't legitimately win that Royal Rumble. Thank you very much. Um, Did she legitimately win it, though? Because she kind of <laughs> Hulk Hogan, WrestleMania 9 won it, because it's just like, who won it? Someone who wasn't in it. Like, <laughs> it was a WrestleMania 9 throwback for you just to have Mae Young come out and win something she wasn't in. That is true. And she got them, she got her tits out as well. So, because I, I assume if Kitty or BB got their tits out, they probably would have won. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah. I question gonna... the judging criteria. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to, oh, we've got so much to get into with Royal Rumble 2000. This is a exciting one for me. I mean, it's, it's slightly past like at the moment my timeline of things like collecting and stuff like that but i mean 2000 wwf was life back in the day and um especially you know i didn't have sky around 2000 i was relying on friends a lot for um i mean wwf.com existed as well which was good so you could like look at results and stuff and i would raw was live on monday so i'd predict results in like Mystic Meg, because <laughs> we didn't get Raw till Friday. And I was kind of like, Hi. yeah, I think Mankind might win the title this week. And they're like, no, it'll never happen. Um, <laughs> the so, the yeah. British Friday Night Wars, I remember well. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Channel 4, I mean, we've got to, we've got to talk about this. Uh, Channel 4 obviously see, like seizes on the popularity of WWF at this point. And not only... Do they have a weekly show, Sunday Night Heat, which was only previously available in America? Which so this was quite exciting because Heat wasn't the dumping ground for jobbers that it would, you know, eventually become. It was on its way. Don't get us wrong, but um, you know the fact that Channel Four was available. Uh, sorry, that Heat was available, and uh, four pay per views per year as well, and uh, that just blew my mind. I mean, I I didn't even know there were going to be four pay-per-views. I, I knew Royal Rumble was happening because they heavily promoted it. They oh, did, they did. 
they didn't promote backlash at all. Um, anytime it just says check local listings, it basically meant it was going to be on Channel 4 instead of Sky. Um, but it, I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah it, it didn't even occur to me, though. And then I asked me, mate, I was like, can you take this backlash tonight? And he's like, well, it's on Channel 4. So I was just like, yes! <laughs> um, <laughs> and I used to, you know, keep... I still got tapes with every heat, every Channel 4 heat, uh, in order, because I'm sad. And, um, and yeah, obviously, you'd have to change the tape over for the pay-per-view and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, ex- exciting times. It was T4 that showed uh, Heat originally, and you had to put up with Dermot O'Leary every week taking the piss out of wrestling um, after, like, Dawson's Creek had been on. Um, so, you know, there was nowhere for him to stand. Which is that. basically the model for WWE after 2000, oh, being yeah. more like Dawson's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, I'm sure Heat was probably their highest drawing show, um, and they just tread... I mean... It, it's hard to say this because WWF is such a big company, but they treat WWF how like TNN treat ECW. They treat it like a joke and just as a, you know. Um, and and, and it's, you can't feel sorry for WWF, but I felt sorry for the fans. Um, especially, <laughs> it was a bit embarrassing. I mean, I feel sorry for anyone who has to listen to Dermot O'Leary. <laughs> he interviewed Terry Funk once for Beyond the Mat, and he was so out of his fucking depth. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> oh, that, I consider that a low point in Terry Funk's career. Like, <laughs> being on Channel 4. <laughs> well, if, if Terry Funk had heard some of the stuff Dermot O'Leary was saying about, um, about wrestling, you know, because Terry Funk was still in WCW at this point, still, you know, on a high level. And everything. But I mean, wrestling generally, I think Terry Funk would have fucking went all uh, Mel Phillips on him and just... <laughs> I was going to say, he should have probably had uh, Dave Schultz him. <laughs> he definitely should have. Um, so we're starting at Roy Rumble and we'll we'll get more into the Channel 4 coverage of Roy Rumble. Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> as, as the event goes on. But uh, so you watched this at the time, I'm guessing. I did, yes, I did watch this at the time, although I've had to refresh myself because it's been like 20-odd years, mm. 21 years, in fact, doesn't it? Yeah, a, a roundly loved pay-per-view. Uh, yeah, not it's just- one of those ones, you know, like, always used to be, it was one of my mates, and every time he said, oh, get back from the pub or something, he's like, sure, watch some wrestling, and everyone's like, yes. <laughs> it's just like, what will I put on? And then everyone under the breath would go, Royal Rumble 2000? And he's like, I know, let's watch Royal Rumble 2000. <laughs> like, it's not that it was a bad event, we just used to see it every fucking week. <laughs> well, out of all of the pay-per-views uh, that Channel 4 showed, I think just because this was the first one, um, and I mean, WWF's fortunes would change quite, well, not not massively dramatically, but between January 2000 and December 2001, WWF stopped being the cool thing. Um, so that's why I think people remember Royal Rumble 2000 so, uh, so vividly is because it was just, it was the height of the end of the Attitude Era for me. I know they say WrestleMania 17, but, um, you know, the... Royal Rumble 2000, there was so many like storylines that continued on from 1999 and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, the roster mm-hmm. was incredible. The matches were incredible. Even if the, some of them weren't as good, like the star power was there. And I think that's what people definitely remember. The star power is definitely the thing I remember the most about this period. And it's, it's just as people are starting to jump ship across from WCW as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it is mind blowing that Channel Four. I mean, again, it's we'll never get this again. I mean, okay, WWE has been on Channel Five. I think they're on Paramount currently. Um, really? I saw an, I saw an advert. I think they've got that Raw 
clip show that Channel 5 have been shown. So I don't know if two channels just have it now. Um, no, Channel 5 definitely has some edited highlights thing on because I've seen them pop up on that Channel 5 app thing now, but like I didn't actually watch it. But it just shows you that wrestling's always a safe bet. You know, one, the channel doesn't have to pay for it. And two, there are recognisable names and it looks impressive and stuff. And um, But back in 2000, I, I can imagine Channel 4 probably pursued getting WWF and then, you know, as channels usually do, do you know, put their fucking fingerprints all over it and try the Not best. as badly as Channel, channel 5 did to, uh, to WCW. <laughs> Remember all the Biff Pow stuff and that that they did? Larry Zabisco commentating on a match that he's in and like, what are you fucking playing at? <laughs> I don't remember him commentating on a match he was in like that. So I have a feeling that was that. There's, there's definitely someone commentated on a match that they were also in the ring for, and I have a feeling it was Zabisco. Oh, uh, Royal Rumble 2000. We should talk about the build-up to Royal Rumble 2000 a little, uh, because there was a lot going on in WWF at that time. I mean, uh, people were jumping ship from other companies. Uh, you know, storylines were kind of being reset as well, because the, the big show title reign, wasn't what it was meant to be. I think it, I honestly think that they planned for him to be the face for a very long time. But when you sent your storyline around your dad dying, uh, you know, I, I think especially during the attitude era, you're only going to get so much sympathy. Yeah, especially if you do it. Is this the whole coffin thing with Bossman? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how much sympathy can he get when Big Bossman turns up on a bullhorn doing poems about his dead dad and then chains it to the back of the car and drives away? <laughs> Big Show dives on it like, no! Like, it was hard to take him seriously at all after that, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really surprised that that didn't make Bossman one of the more over people in the company. It actually made me like him. <laughs> it was the first time I'd started to like the Bossman since he'd been, like, in WWE. I mean, since he'd been the like prison guard one, the like mm. Clive County, Georgia, or whatever it was, with the the ducktail sounding music at the start. <laughs> um, well, we we'll start with uh, Taz against Kurt Angle. Now, Taz is the mystery opponent, and if you weren't watching anything other than WWF at that point, and you know, I didn't know too much about ECW. I knew of Taz because. I'll, I'll admit he had made WWF appearances and stuff like that. I wasn't, I didn't have access to ECW. Um, Taz was one of those people talked about in magazines and that though, like he, yeah. he was a pretty known commodity. Well, weeks leading up to the Rumble, uh, people were coming to the ring and uh, all of a sudden the lighting would turn orange. And uh, I think the voiceover, the mood is about to change. And then it everything went back to normal after that. So they were kind of building that up. So Taz, uh, you know, the whole wrestling world knew that Taz had left ECW because he lost the, uh, the, the freeway dance. And he got pinned very cleanly very early on as well, which took a lot of people off guard. Uh, so it's just assumed at that point that you're going to go to the WWF. And uh, I think they probably weren't exactly secret about it as well. So everyone knew he was coming, as did the MSG crowd as well. And so Angle comes out and everyone's chanting Taz and <laughs> Angle has to pretend to ignore it, which is always funny. Um, and uh, Taz backstage uh, told the story that he really didn't know whether the Madison Square Garden crowd would know him. I think he was backstage with Bruce Pritchard. And as soon as the, you know, the doom, 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 and the crowd go, like Bruce Pritchard was like, yeah, no, I think you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Taz said he thought it was was bad because he heard such a huge reaction 
and that he'd thought like, oh, no, they didn't create me in the crowd like us, so I'm going to get fucked over. <laughs> well, it, it is kind of sad that this match would be his first match and also the peak of his entire WWF run. Um, mostly ends Kurt Angle's undefeated. And this, to me, is a perfect way to start off a pay-per-view. What do you think? The only thing I thought, I mean, I'd, I'd enjoyed that video package at the start, having King of the Deathmatch footage in. That's really crazy to see WWF showing, like, exploding barbed wire matches and barbed wire boards and shit like that to set the context for the main event. So I thought that was a really exciting opening. But uh, I thought opening with Kurt Angle doing a promo is 2000 in a bad way. Like, why do so many shows start like that? Like, I want some action. Like, we've just had a video package, and we had JR and King sitting close together, fucking yelling at each other's faces, which had <laughs> me absolutely howling. So they have to be heard over the crowd, so they're, like, leaning in to almost whispering in each other's ears position <laughs> and screaming at the top of the voices. So that was funny. But I, I don't know. I, I, I thought starting with a promo was a bit funny. But the crowd were mega into it anyway, so it didn't affect it too much because they obviously know it's their hometown hero coming in, don't they? Yeah, well, that's the, I think it, you know, for me, it builds up just a little bit more anticipation because um, you know that Kurt Angle is going to basically get his ass handed to him sort of thing. So having him be cocky and arrogant and uh, condescending and stuff like that, I think it makes it more kind of sweet when Taz comes in and just fucking braze him in about, two, min- in about two minutes. But uh, it, it, why this ended up not being a long standing program with Kurt Angle and Taz. Like, I'll never understand. Imagine the pure suplex battles they could have had, because you see some monstrous-looking suplexes in this match. Yeah, and, and, and the WWF audience were not used to those kind of suplexes from Taz, and especially, oh, definitely. And especially someone who could take them, like Kurt Angle as well, because, I mean, he almost does, like, just... He's so athletic that he will not just take a bump, he'll over-rotate sometimes and he'll do like full 360s of suplexes and stuff like that just because, <laughs> you know, it, it looks impressive and because he can do it, really. And I mean, it, it, I've... Kurt nearly died, though, at one point with that. Because of the like, backdrop. Oh, <laughs> he's so yeah. used to like jumping to assist people and Taz just like humps you over by himself, like of all his own power. So then when Angle like jumps and just has his head whammed into the floor, as a oof. <laughs> well, I... I rarely seen a match that has established someone so quickly as uh and you know and then di- and did such a great job of it as they did with the the Taz match I would have to have a good think about WWF matches debuts on a pay-per-view that was so like we're gonna do something with this person after the first match yeah I was gonna say over somebody who was pretty well established as well you know what I really liked as well that I thought sold Taz even better is and it's a little strange in context to the time, but the stretcher job, seeing Angle go out on a stretcher after he's been choked, which mm-hmm. like it's right, like if you get choked that badly, you can die or get brain damage or whatever. So I thought that put over the chokehold well and put over Taz well. But like we're at a time where people like the big show get hit with a breeze block and it turns into dust over his head. And he's like, oof, you might be able to pin me for two now. So it seems a bit strange seeing someone get choked and then like taken to hospital. <laughs> 
Did ECW really capitalise on the fact that it was a choke? Did people get stretched out then as well? The only stretcher thing I really remember is when they used to bring in Sabu and he had the uh, bloody crazy <laughs> mask on and he was tied down. So the thing I immediately went to was when Sid had his little ECW run and they'd bring out the stretcher. Don't remember that. I don't know. Oh, yeah, they used to do that as well because it was just kind of like, this is what you're going to be fucking leaving on, mate. And uh, Sid, <laughs> Sid was over in ECW. It wasn't there long, but... Uh, you know, he was used very well, I thought. And I've only seen a couple of appearances, and I can't imagine he was there much longer than that. But uh, it is kind of weird, Sid and ECW. But uh, but like that, using the Tasmission as they did in... Oh, sorry, Tas, Tasmission. What do they call it? The Kataman? Oh, I can't remember a Japanese <laughs> name. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get Joey Styles on the phone. He'll know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, th- that's the thing. A finisher had never really put someone on a on a stretcher before. Like Especially that. a submission hold. I always yeah. think of WWE as a place where they're into like impact finishers more than submission holds. Yeah, it was very, uh, it was very unique. And you know, and if someone does have a submission move, like a figure four or whatever, they usually get out of it. I mean, Flair said himself that you don't think he's ever beat anyone with a figure four. Um, Whenever I saw someone lose the figure four, they usually were pinned from it somehow <laughs> as well, anyway, rather than tapping out. Um. So yeah, ties and angle. It was you know I usually class Own Heart and One Two Three Kid at uh, King of the Ring '94 as one of the better two minute matches that there ever was. But I would put the Taz and Kurt Angle match right up there as well. I think it's great. Like, I did really enjoy that one. It's just, it's two minutes, but it didn't hurt it because they put in a lot of impact and it was a shock debut. So it works in that context. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's something that arguably is missing now because people may think that they're getting ripped off with a two-minute match on a pay-per-view. I love when, if they do a main event and it's only two minutes long, but one person gets absolutely battered. Like when Cena got battered off Lesnar that one time. Everyone, oh, yeah, was, like, everyone was like, it was a terrible match. And I'm like, well, no. It was great because Lesnar beat up Cena and it was not every match can be a 40 minute ep- epic. Who the fuck would want to see those two go for <laughs> 40 minutes as well? Like it did the job, but you give you your money's worth. Oh, so, um, so we uh, go from that, uh, to uh, hang on, can I give you a Mason's note? Oh, please, yes. Those suplex attack nearly poofed him into dust. <laughs> <laughs> This is a new feature on the show. Tempest's uh, son, Mason, going to be our colour analyst. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. He'll give you a verdict. Like, we don't have star ratings and all that shit. We'll get, a, we'll get a Mace rating at the end of each match. And arguably more entertaining than our rambling. So um, I probably... <laughs> he may take our spot eventually. But uh, <laughs> So we go from that into uh, into an interview. We do. A, it's quite a brief one. I think this is from that period where Bubba Ray has a sexual attraction to putting women through tables isn't it because like Terry's standing there in a little sexy dressing gown thing and Hardy's like you're not going out there he'll put you through a table <laughs> yeah the um I don't think you'd quite put like me young and everyone through a table yet but it was definitely the start of that and uh it, it just shows you like how more willing WWF were to recognize talent that they brought in and use them quite well because having your first two matches it, at one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year with ECW names who had just come into the company, I think says a lot. It does, doesn't it? I mean, the, it's again, though, it's the area, isn't it? If you're doing it in the garden, people like the Dudleys are going to be over like crazy straight away. Yeah, and, and this particular match, because it was the first ever tables match on uh, WWF television, certainly on pay-per-view, and it could have... Edge and Christian were all in that as well, but they were kind of the team that were... Hardy Boys were the definite faces, Dudley's were the definite heels, but Edge and Christian were somewhere in the middle. 
and they were like kind of struggling to find their spot a little bit. So them turning uh, heel eventually was the best thing that they could have done. And arguably the Dudleys turning face was the best thing that they could have done at that point uh, because they were right. like toned down compared to like ECW Dudley boys. Um, Most definitely. And, at the, and, and the promo when Bubba gets in the ring, you can tell that, you know, this is, I think, the first time where he doesn't stutter. So they're starting to get rid of that and make subtle changes, uh, you know, to, I guess, make them more serious at that point. Aye. Uh, but the, the, if I have one criticism of this match is that the announcer does not make it clear that the opponent has to be put through the table via an offensive move. I was going to complain about that as well, actually, because I had the same thought. Like, it's unnecessarily complicated. Putting people through a table, like, that's a cool spot in that. But what's wrong with just having a hardcore match where you put them through tables and pin them? Like, it's both team members have to have been put through tables, but not by putting themselves through. And But they're not eliminated. So you go through the table and you carry on. You've just lost a life and you wait for the other guy to <laughs> go through it as well. I was like, mm, this would have probably worked better if you just had a brutal match where people got put through tables. That's for me anyway. I agree. I think that the table match, I mean, it's one of the most synonymous things with like certainly 2000 WWF uh, to the point where it ended up on the SmackDown games and yeah, everything. I mean, the table matches been around for years now i mean they still have them now on pay-per-view uh on the, the but TLC. they're inconsistent with those rules still even now though like didn't sheamus win his first championship because he casino fell off the top and went through a table or something <laughs> and i was like wait does it not have to be an offensive move then it's just like well basically the guy we wanted to win has to win and tables will be involved there's so little margin for error as well i mean i remember a pay-per-view where scotty too hotty was going to eat the sunset flip powerbomb someone through a table outside the ring, but the table wasn't far away enough, so Scotty's feet went right through the table. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, though, it's like, because the table's kind of lava, and your feet have went through it, so technically, are your ankles meant to now be broken? Feet... You know, look, <laughs> yeah. You've lost your feet. <laughs> you know, you have to wrestle the rest of the match with knee feet. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, the table spot as a spot, you know, just to get a pop from the crowd was fair enough but i mean I, I think they did kill the tables they stopped it looking dangerous especially after they stopped putting the women through because that that was kind of the next step uh Aye. putting the women through but the table spot did kind of uh it certainly run its course i think it's i mean it's it's synonymous with the attitude era but it's also a product of the attitude era in the sense that it's something that got overdone and has very little impact now it's when they started piling up PR loads of them, you know, it'll be like there's three tables on top of each other or like the Undertaker had a match once, I'm sure I remember seeing. It's like they put 15 tables outside <laughs> all in a row and I'm like, well, unless he's about to host the last supper or something, quite clearly some fucking Raj Falls going to happen out of the ring and go through all of them. Yeah, like, I, I, I just don't think people care about table spots anymore. It's a shame, isn't it? There's a fucking terrifying table bit in here. I don't know if you'd call it a spot. But um, someone gets backdropped. I want to say Jeff Hardy gets backdropped up in the air and the table gets moved out of the way. And fuck me, it's close to him, just like landing on the table legs in midair. It's terrifying. Yeah, Matt like flips it over, doesn't he? Instead of moving Aye, it out of the way. And it's just, yeah, that is pretty Holy bad. shit, that's terrifying. There's another like great dangerous bit like that where like 
Jeff Hardy gets shot out the air like some kind of new metal pretty boy pheasant. And he's just like flying through and the, the chair just goes, sorry, the table just like gets thrown on. It's like bang on his head and puts him out. It's so good. Oh, one of my favorite, the Hardys, Edge and Christian and the Dudleys have said uh, that those early tables matches and TLC matches or whatever didn't really have a lot of psychology to them. They were about getting in all the impressive spots. Um, oh, definitely. So, you know, there's definitely not much really uh, much in the way of uh, psychology in this match, certainly. Um, the stupid rules make it harder to have the psychology, you know, like both guys have got to go through them. And if you, you could have easily had more psychology, if it's like you went through the table, you're out of here and you yeah. like get sent out of the back, you know what I mean? Then you can do more story, but it achieves what it's set out to do. And you get the hilarious visual of Devon falling off the ladder and like landing on a fan in the front row who like goes to kick off and makes <laughs> eye contact with Devon Dudley and thinks, fuck that. <laughs> well, one of my favorite uh, bits is, I think it's Devon's on the outside of the ring on the table and you see Matt coming from one side to offer, I, I can't remember what he did, but he came off one side to jump through them, but you didn't see Jeff on the other side also jump <laughs> at the same time. And he basically <laughs> jumps over the camera and then lands in shot. And I was just like, fucking hell, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, it just looks like he fell out the sky, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, a very fun match, but it's uh, and it's it's what it should have been for like that New York crowd as well. I mean, the 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 Garden does like its gimmick matches, and oh, uh, totally. and and the Garden would be where you would do a lot of blow off stuff anyway, uh, or main feuds and stuff when when they had the house the house show loop. I mean, there's a Randy Savage Bad News Brown street fight which only they will have seen and you know many things oh well the billy graham dusty roads bull ropes and everything Aye. so they, they, that the one where he gets hanged in that yeah yeah so i mean it, as pat patterson would say they're into their gaga uh you know they, <laughs> they like a show and the thing is as well if you're there every month you've got to provide something new um so but i used to think about the impact zone and stuff like that it's like people would be like why did you see so much mental shit every month that was different it's like because the same fucking crowd are there every month that's why they've got to keep it crazy you know what i mean yeah uh and the, i mean the hardies were so i mean they're at the peak of women just throwing themselves at them at this point um you know, Jeff taking off his top on top. I mean, it's a, it's a great spot. scream when he does that as well. Oh, the, the scream, not quite as much when Matt, if you notice, Jeff will take his off and then Matt will be like, me too. And then like, just oh, to try. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> it's like Meryl getting some of that sable pop, you know, just by coming out with him sort of thing. Um, by proxy. <laughs> by proxy. So Jeff, that spot off the balcony, I mean, I can't believe no one had ever fought to do that before with anything. Um, because well, they hadn't in WWF, I'd seen that plenty. Well, oh, yeah, ECW, like. but I mean, in the garden though, because those balconies, oh, really? Aye, aye. And those exit ways are so legendary and they're not there anymore either. Uh, and that's I didn't why, know that, yeah, they, they remodeled the inside of it. The, the roof's still there, and you can tell it's the garden and everything, and it has that circular feel to it. But uh, the old exits and entranceways are, are long gone. Now, which I was, yeah, I was uh, disappointed about that because that is one of the things that makes the garden the garden. I found even like on live gigs, where like I had a bunch of DVDs of like big bands in the seventies. Like, um, I had a one of Led Zeppelin playing there. I had a one Jethro Tull playing there, and it's all just part of the like iconic visuals. Not even just of wrestling, just stuff <laughs> you know, like live entertaining stuff. <laughs> it's just part of it. And with the entrance way being that close, uh, that's uh, that narrow. Sorry, the fans are so close to everything. 
Um, like the guy Devo fell on. Yeah, yeah, and and there's another example of that later on, which I'll which I'll very much point out. But uh, so Jeff <laughs> on the on the balcony, uh, jumping off, doing the swanton through Bubba on the table. I mean, again, one of those just iconic attitude era moments, which sadly, you know, you've got to try and top everything. And you know, it's not Aye. even the last time Jeff would do that on pay view. He did it again as Survivor Series or two, and no one remembers that one. You can't beat the first. You can't beat the first time for me. No, you really can't. Uh, so another great match, but it, it's just it lacks psychology, like I say. But it doesn't need it. It's a bit of. Is it? Would it be awful to say it's like a bit of just brain dead entertainment? Like, not really. Like I, I like there to be a bit of that on a show. You know, like for example random cruiserweight matches on nitro and stuff like that. like the fact that i might have loads of super story driven matches then i'm like oh great 15 minutes of people doing mental shit before i get back <laughs> to the story you know what i mean it's like that yeah and and again they couldn't go too far with it with chair shots and stuff because of the main event uh, but, oh, yeah. but it is what it is it's a gimmick match and and they did it very well and again everyone remembers the first um so yeah what what uh, do you have any other extra thoughts on that just mason's verdict yeah, let's go for it. That Matt Hardy looked like the EW Matt Hardy. <laughs> and then he said, and then he said, Breaking furniture is a silly way to win a match. Uh, he's old before his time. <laughs> he definitely is. You've shown, him didn't know. You've shown him a lot of Mid-South. <laughs> yeah, I'm so he's a bit like, mm, you win by breaking furniture. That's a bit silly. <laughs> Don't show him the good housekeeping match with Jarrett in China. <laughs> He'll not like that. <laughs> China takes a bump on her pie, I think. <laughs> yep, he will not like that. <laughs> it's quite a serious little thing when it comes to stuff like that. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, yeah, we uh, go to, uh, I believe, another interview. Do we? The only thing I remember next was it going to the swimsuit contest. So unless that interview is the start of that, are they talking to the contestants or something? That's interesting. No, I thought it was the, is the Rock interview later on. Oh, there is a Rock interview later when he's got that really cool hockey jersey on that's oh, like personalised. Then we will very much uh, go into that and why that pissed off an entire country. Uh, but the in between that, I know on the video, on the DVD, got, there's a Coliseum exclusive where Angle's backstage and he's getting checked out by the doctor and he doesn't know what happened. And the doctor's like, I, I can't, don't know what happened, mate. You know, you, you got Oh, choked. yeah, yeah. And he's like, but it was a choke, so I'm still undefeated. Yeah. And he's like, I can't answer that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing on the on the live, live version, the Labine, the cutaway to like the superstar line or something like that on advert for... To be honest, it might actually be that part because I'm that does ring a bell. I'm sure I saw that. I think I just forgot it. Mm-hmm. But let's get on. It's to easy what... to forget when the swimsuit contest's coming up. Well, I was going to say let's get on to what we've all come for: hardcore nudity, um, <laughs> the, the Miss Rumble 2000 swimsuit contest. Woo. Dear Lord! <laughs> <laughs> now a little bit of um, build up to this, if, if you can believe it. There was some build up to this. Uh, they, they kind of had this very short sub storyline where Edge, all the women wanted Edge to be the judge because all the women wanted to fuck Edge. Really? Yeah, yeah. They were all like just coming onto him and flirting with him and stuff. Why not Val Venus? Because, you know, he that's was a his porn gimmick. star. Yeah, yeah, it would make a lot more sense. They could have basically done like an X rated version of the one we just covered in Beach Blast. Mm. And Val Venus could be the Mark Merrow guy. <laughs> well, um, I think WWF had realized what they had in Edge is like a good looking young lad because he was getting 
at that point, he was really getting the female attention even more than the Hardys at that point. Uh, Isn't anytime... he going to be the porn star character initially? Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet against it. I know that the he said that him and uh, oh, who was it? It was him and Val Venus were originally going to be the new Midnight Express. <laughs> and luckily, that would have been bizarre. Yeah. So luckily, that didn't happen. But yeah, they were trying to like sort of sway Edge's favor by like coming onto him and. Um, Again, that didn't last very well. It was kind of a weird thing, though, because Edge was still doing the mysterious, no pun intended, brooding type. Uh, but, <laughs> but but like I say, though, he was kind of half... They weren't anything at this point. They weren't like the mystery men at this point. They weren't dressed like vampires. They were just kind of like two good-looking lads with nice big hair and white teeth. And uh, that's why you meant to cheer them, I guess. <laughs> There's um, not a lot of depth to that. No, no, there wasn't. Um so yeah, Miss Miss Rumble two thousand. Um, I'm so glad we've moved away from this sort of stuff in wrestling. You know, so glad. My highlight, and you know, not because I'm not into tits. Um, my highlight was uh, the judges for this. Um, the judges included. I mean, they just went. Vince backstage must have been like Tony Guerrero. What are you doing tonight? Uh, now, oh, well, do you want to judge some tits? <laughs> 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 it's, it's a strangely star-studded but random lineup, isn't it? I mean, Tony Guerrero, I understand because he's backstage, he's working with them. Uh, but and he's also a legend. These are all garden legends. That's the thing. So Tony that was Guerrero. what I'd figured because, yeah. like, Moolah as well. Did you notice someone in the front row, like neck well, on with Moolah, which is on the way there? That was what I was going to say about the entranceway <laughs> being narrow. She he grabs her by the fucking hair and pulls her in. Like <laughs> a gun with a tongue, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I hope he's ashamed of that now. <laughs> like, no, no, he knows about <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, Mula was up for it, though. She seemed... Uh... She was receptive, by the looks of it. Yeah, because Mula's the type that I think would have just, like, smacked you across the heat if you tried tried anything on with him. <laughs> um, Probably. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the judges panel were uh, Tony Guerrero, who barely gets a reaction, uh, Johnny V, who gets no reaction whatsoever, <laughs> which is a shame because... Johnny Valiant is fucking great. And he lived in New York, but again, it wasn't like he was working for the company and it wasn't like he was there, you know, since then or anything like that. That was his one appearance in uh, WWF. And, you know, it's so random. It was random. <laughs> um, and the uh, Sergeant Slaughter comes out and he gets absolutely no reaction. Uh, Moolah comes out, gets no reaction. And then Freddie Blassie comes out and gets one of the ovations of the night. Um, yeah, he does, doesn't which, he? Which is wonderful. Like, he's just, you know, little old bloke with a cane at this point. But, <laughs> you, you know, you can tell that like, he knows he's ready to see some tits. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there, like, a guy off Conan O'Brien or something weird like that? Well, sure, there's, like, a TV host assistant or some bullshit. Andy Richter, no relation to Wendy Richter. Uh, <laughs> he, was, he was kind of like the, I believe he's like the Alfred Hayes on TNT, you know, who sits on the other end of the couch and just chips in every so often. Oh, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I had no fucking idea who he was. But it just shows you, though, the, they didn't at all, not that you would have sold any tickets, but they didn't promote him at all. He was. He must have just bought a ticket that night, and they must have just. You don't been give looked. him a proper entrance or anything. No, like everybody else walks out and gets announced, and then they're like, "Oh, by the way, this guy off the telly's already at the desk." <laughs> like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, Lola even has to announce him. It wasn't even how it. And uh, Lola's like, "There he is," pointed him. I know. Andy Richter doesn't even stand up for it. Hi, like, <laughs> <laughs> just. I. I guess I. I can see why they had a segment like this here. I don't just mean because for bullshit like tits and ass stuff that they love to do in the uh 
attitude here. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was like to calm things down after you've just seen people gone through tables constantly. So it's like, and putting comedy in at the end of it is an improvement then at least because it's not just mindless titillating bullshit. (laughs) It's just like there is still some comedy. It's comic relief and it's not ruining a title. It's not because I mean they went through that stage of like you'd have your epic mid-show match and then you'd calm it down with a women's title match and it's like come on, women's title isn't it? Yeah, the women's title should have a bit more uh, gravitas to it. That that I mean, saying that the cat was the women's champion at this point. Uh, exactly, and they're like winning <laughs> evening gown matches and all that stuff. We'll get to further down the line. Oh, good lord! So she didn't even come out with the belt. Um, so. <laughs> Just to show you how important it was. So uh, Lola says in his uh, book that the cat literally only wanted to wear like one covering of bubble wrap, but they were like, no. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, But they were like, no, you can't do that. So they basically got an industrial size tube and just rolled her in it. You know, you couldn't see anything under it, but Lola sold it like it was the greatest thing you'd ever seen. Um, He did, which in reality was Jackie twerking. When she gets down and she's like, yeah, dancing the booty and she's wafting. King nearly has a seizure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she gets one of the... That's the thing, Terry comes out because everyone knows Terry has that music. Because they've both got the, the the PMS music at that point still, the Pretty Mean Sisters music, Aye. in case people don't know what PMS was um, in, in that context. Speaking um, of titillating bullshit. <laughs> so, yeah, you've got Luna Vachon, who her story, she didn't want to be a part of it, neither did Ivory. And then you had uh, BB, Barbara Bush, not George Bush's wife, uh, BB the nurse who uh, made the occasional appearance to sort of help people to the back. And she was never a nurse, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think she's it, a nurse know. on the to 10 minute free view you got at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know where she came from, where she went, uh, where she is now. Like, I don't know anything about the, the rumor was that she was married to Bob Holly. And Bob Holly categorically denied it in his book. I'm like, I would pretend I was. I thought she looks exactly like Major Guns. Like, I was convinced just... it was her, but it can't be because they're in the same place at the same time. Yeah, she's very unlike a, a WWF kind of woman at that point. Because um, she, she is very prototypical of that sort of Barbie doll look. And WWF just did not have that at the time, even with like Sable and that. She wasn't like a Barbie doll. Um, no, not at all. They were going but, always for like the demure type thing there, weren't they? Yeah, they definitely, yeah, but they definitely weren't with uh, BB. Um, no, they were not. <laughs> so, and uh, oh, who else? There was Ivory, Jacqueline, Terry. So Terry comes out, gets a huge reaction, and then Jacqueline comes out with the same music that doesn't even end between. <laughs> Terry's and Jacqueline's music, and then no one reacts to Jacqueline, even though she undoubtedly had the best outfit uh, that night. (laughs) Mind that bit where Terry leans over the rope. I remember being a kid. I nearly had a bloody heart attack at that bit. It just like just looks like you're looking up a bum. Like I can't believe how little the outfits are. Don't mean sound sound like an old man. (laughs) But she had one of her old Marlena outfits, which are gold, but because she's so tanned, it looks like she doesn't have anything on. Um, I, you know, it just looks like she leans over the ropes. There's no pants on. You're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, the Jacqueline, <laughs> the, the, the Jacqueline thing has to be one of the more risque things that I think they've heard. Did you ever see Capital Carnage where Jacqueline's on Tim White's shoulders and Sable pulls her top off? <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> no, I didn't. I've not seen that. I don't know how Jacqueline ends up on Tim White's shoulders during this match, but uh, Sable. I had just up. wondered that myself. Like. <laughs> 
Sable comes up from behind and literally and like just rips her top off. And it's on Sky Box Office, so you can get away with stuff like that a bit more. Um but Jack Jacqueline was uh she was up for up for it, like. But um you know she... Jacqueline was great. I just it's just a shame to see she made a good fun of this and made a, a good laugh of it but it's shit seeing lasses like Ivory and Jacqueline where they could be having a real match and this is what they're doing. Oh I agree I agree 100%. I mean I've got to say we shouldn't objectify but like we are reviewing this. I think Ivory took a lot of people off guard when she whipped that hoodie off and she's in such good shape and like there's not much on as well and I think people weren't expecting much from Ivory. And, but she uh, looks amazing. She's so athletic. And yeah. the reveal under the fleece on that makes it better. Uh, I, I, she, to be fair, she's one of the best looking women out of the night, really. Like, there's, they're all really attractive, but she looks like a wrestler. Like, she looks like a real athlete. Oh, without a doubt. And I mean, Jacqueline, she looks like a real athlete as well. But I've, and again, this is objectifying a bit, but the fact that she has such massive boobs you kind of think, oh, she's not an athlete or she's not, like, you know, that talented. And Because a lot of WWF fans won't have seen all of our good stuff in Memphis no. or WCW. They've seen the bikini content, which it looks incredible. Oh, she um, does have a wonderful body. Jacqueline, Jacqueline is a beautiful woman, but it's a shame for me to see, like, she'd been Kevin Sullivan's, like, bodyguard when I first seen her. I thought yeah. she was amazing and she was proper dangerous seaman. So just seeing her grinding in a cowboy hat, and that's a bit <laughs> of a, a downgrade for her career. We've got to say that when she does that cowgirl stuff, you literally see a bit of dental floss up her ass. Like it's just—I've <laughs> never seen anything that exposed on WWF television like that. Um, that until was... until you get Mae Young's prosthetic, which <laughs> whips it out. <laughs> um, so the other notable one is uh, Luna, who she's dressed like a hooker, basically, like one she, of those. She is like. That's yeah. why I found it weird, you know, when she does the like, well, no, I'm not taking it off. It's what you see is what you get. Like, you can see virtually yeah. <laughs> everything. You're nearly naked. You're in a tiny see-through split dressing gown. Like, it's a strange moment to make a stand now. Yeah, and it's such a shame as well, because, like, Luna was at the end of a WWF run at that point, and I think she was having issues and stuff, and uh, she, you can tell awesome. that she wasn't. They, they put her with Gangrel as a short-lived team, and I thought that something could have been done with that, because she even wore the frilly... Uh, the sort of frilly fringe vampire top that uh, Gangrel wore, and um, there's a it it made sense as a partnership because they were married, but it, you know it's just were they sh- really? Oh God, yeah, they got married down um, in 1995 uh, on Halloween, and they sh- <laughs> oh perfect. <laughs> they did a worked wedding on a Raw where Luna got married to Gangrel. You just see Luna gets married, and because uh, he was called Vampire Warrior. And, uh, this is what he's called after he left there as well. And I've, I'm sure he went to ECW as Vampire Warrior, but I could be wrong. Like he's don't... been all over. He's been in TNA as the Vampire Warrior as well. Yeah, he's he's the definition of just like a, a good hand and a veteran who can have a good match with anyone. And the gimmick worked in the Attitude Era, but it was he wasn't as young or as good looking or whatever. And he was just he was there to get people over. But in terms of the Attitude Era, he was actually one of the best at doing that. I would say. Oh, yeah. And he definitely, like, people understate how important he will have been to Edge in Christian's career. Oh, without a doubt. If you listen to their podcast as well, they, they can't praise him enough. And Gangrel, David Heath, is so modest. Uh, and he thinks that he didn't, like, do as much or whatever, or doesn't have too much to talk about. But when you get him started on stories and stuff like that, he's because he wasn't one of those political figures. You know, he didn't, he probably didn't cause a, a you know, Make a, a stink backstage. All that. Aye, no, yeah. not at all. Um, 
And I wish that it because they brought him back in 2004 for like a one off and uh, sadly didn't last much for whatever reason. They decided to hire Viscera, but they didn't hire Gangrel. Dear um, yeah, so um, so we have the bikini contest and uh, everyone's stripped, and it looks like the cat's gonna win because she's got the bubble wrap bikini. And, Which uh, doesn't look as good as what Terry and Jackie have both just had on. Oh yeah, like you know, they really tried to oversell that bubble wrap, but it's it's not very good. If that's the kind of thing that you're looking for, I mean, if you look bubble wrap, <laughs> you're sorted. But uh, <laughs> then you'll definitely pop. <laughs> so it looks like they're about to announce the winner, and then May Young's music hits. And uh, yeah, do you want to take it from? <laughs> <laughs> May Young comes and saves the segment from just being meaningless, mindless misogyny by turning it to comedy and coming and uh, going all the way, teasing and teasing and stripping off until Mark Henry, of all people, runs out to cover her up and save oh, the day. What, one of my favorite bits is Freddie Blassie's clapping at ringside. He's just like, yeah, get them out. Get in. <laughs> um, what I love, and I thought this was Channel 4 that did this, but it was actually WWF. They put the, I mean, you see it. I don't know what the network version's like. Actually, I think they might just, they might have. They just put, put the censored thing over it. You don't see the prosthetics. Well, I think they've put a bigger crossover it now because the one that they put at the time was so thin that her tits literally hung below the X. And you could actually see everything. And there's a bit where they announced the You winner. did on Channel 4, I remember seeing the big <laughs> fake weird tits. Oh, yeah, so uh, so uh, <laughs> I don't know what to think of. I know you're a very good parent, but you've shown this to Mason now. And Mason's very young. <laughs> what did, what it was Mason... censored and covered up. <laughs> <laughs> what did Mason think of the... Uh... I mean, this is a question I never thought I'd ask. What did your, your very young child think of the Miss Rumble 2000 contest? <laughs> This make me think of the butt song. Those anuses were haunting me in my sleep. That was all, and he just thought it was funny that people were all trying to show their bums off. He's like, who cares about your bum? <laughs> well, that's where cooties come from. No one wants to see No, one wants, to no see one wants bum cooties. No. <laughs> or Bob Holly, for that matter. <laughs> so next to look at the most randomly insert. Why is Bob Holly in the next match? China versus Y2J versus Bob Holly. Oh, when God, China yes. and Y2J are fighting over the Intercontinental belt. Aren't they like both champions at the minute or something stupid like that? Yeah, well, the um, Jericho won the belt at Armageddon, which was the rematch to Survivor Series. And he was like, yeah, it's a disgrace that woman's got the belt and I'm going to bring prestige to it like the Mountie did and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why or how Bob Holly got inserted into this. He was, and I, I've... You know, in terms of like how he's used and stuff like that, I don't really have a problem with Bob Holly at all. Uh, and I'm a I'm a fan of like a lot of parts of his career, but there was absolutely no need for him in this match except to take the fall, which I don't think he even does. does he? he doesn't do that either. That was what I thought watching it. I was like, oh, it must be Bob who gets pinned here. No, there's just no fucking purpose for him being there at all. This is the first notable time where Jericho has uh, got a really big face reaction. Not just like a, we think he's a cool heel, like an actual, we we 
believe he's a face. Uh, the bit before this, because Jericho and China do the, the double suplex where all four shoulders are on the floor. So the referee obviously makes them co-champions at that point because that's what you do. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so, so there's a bit backstage where I think one of them's got the belt and Dave Hebner comes up to them and is like, right, got to take the belt. And Jericho's like, come on, Earl. I mean, Dave. <laughs> um, and out of this match, a, a mutual respect thing blossoms between Jericho and China. You can tell that like, they were desperate to push some kind of romantic thing. And I know Jericho didn't particularly enjoy working with China. And I, I think the feeling was mutual because uh, China was still <laughs> involved with Triple H at this point. And... This match is one of the reasons as well. Oh, God. Yeah, go and lead us into it, please. <laughs> there's just there's a bit where she just like stands around something and Bob Holly has to shout at Chris Jericho for what to do next because Jericho's <laughs> mind's gone totally fucking blank because they used to have to plan everything out in advance for China. <laughs> it's just the match just proper breaks down in the middle at one of those bits and like, eesh. Jericho and Holly would have a perfectly good match, I would think. Um, it wouldn't have been the most interesting. I don't think anyone would legit think Holly would win the Intercontinental belt from Jericho. Um, but adding China in there is just... it. I, I know everyone likes China. I like China, but, like, God, she couldn't have that good matches. Like, I got to see the other side of the coin a bit, though, because... I had a sister when I first watched this. She's two years younger than me, Bethany, and her hero was China. Mm. And seeing at a time where, like, look at that embarrassing bullshit that was the Miss Rumble contest. So to my sister, seeing a woman who could, like, stand her ground against the men and that, and she could, like, beat the men up, that was great for my sister as a 10-year-old girl to be seeing that at a time where everyone else is just a sex object. Yeah, I agree. And I'm actually surprised that a lot of the women didn't, hold something against China. I'm guessing largely China didn't have the ego that someone like Sable did, who really didn't deserve the, mm. you know, a women's title or whatever. At least, China, at least China was athletic and she was trained by Killer Kowalski, you know, and, and I really tried... She had to, an impressive physique as well. Oh, yeah, and, and, and she was ridiculously over. I mean, you don't end up in Playboy, you don't end up being the third person on your roster to get a biography after the rock and mankind. Um, you know, if you're not just ridiculously over and she has I, I get the appeal and look I love China I, I really do and I really don't try and critique someone wrestling wise like that too much but you could just tell that China would get very lost in matches yeah and you can I, definitely see that tonight or that's it tonight that night yeah um and, and it's an intercontinental title match but it's just so it sounds awful, but if I'm watching the DVD or whatever, it's the match that I skip. It's disjointed, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I the, only, don't... the only thing I really noticed, and like it probably shows you that the match isn't that great that I'm picking up on things like this. Fuck me, I really appreciated how hard that canvas must be. When you're more used to the like proper bouncy sprung style that you got on WCW, mm-hmm. seeing some there's a top rope superplex in this, and fuck me, it's like they've just landed on stone. <laughs> just got. <laughs> Like there's no bounce, there's no bounce or nothing. It's just like an egg off a windscreen. It's just like, oh, I would not like to have been getting that. Like they went through a period, especially uh, from like 01 to 03, where there were so many broken necks, and I think it was at that point where they had to make a change uh, with the ring. No, I, I could. That was always the thing. Apparently, it was like concrete, and people weren't used to it, and people hated the ropes. If you came from any other company. anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> they just yeah always use ropes but uh, the change I, I heard was apparently because Vince had to start taking bumps and he's like whoa fuck this I'm not taking bumps on that <laughs> yeah you would think that you would be like oh, like apologize or something to every wrestler that's you know ever been slammed ever not given any health insurance to or whatever but <laughs> you know um <laughs> So yeah, that's the thing. I can't remember. It it seems like one of those matches where it just doesn't get going to me. Yeah, that's what I mean about it being kind of disjointed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It would have probably been better if it was just China and Jericho because at least she could just be instructed constantly. It's the, it makes sense as the blow off match. Like you've done free pay per view. This would be the third pay per view, and their co champions again. Why Bob Holly? Because the thing is, <laughs> at, at least. Um, I'm sure he's heard that a few times when he's been put in main events. Why, Bob Holly? Um, <laughs> Luckily, oh. that hasn't happened too many times. <laughs> um, <Quite a> lot. <laughs> <laughs> but Jericho's so over. China, I mean, China's getting booed at this point uh, because Jericho's so over. And I think people are starting to realize there's no way China should be able to beat someone like Chris Jericho. And not because Aye. it's woman and man, but it's just he's so. It's Chris Jericho. You know, think Chris like AAA, ECW, WCW, like he's been all over. Yeah. Um. So it, that's it, it, like I say, not much I can really remember from this match, sadly, and it probably is the the dud on the card. <laughs> Mason's note wasn't far off. Right, <laughs> he'd said. And this match would be better if it was Jericho against a lady and the bald man just went home. <laughs> went home. That's amazing. So, yeah, Mason didn't think much of that, I feel like. Uh, well, again, it, his place on the card wasn't great. Coming after the, the amazing... The amazing, the entertaining, I should say, Miss Rumble 2000. I was going to um, say it at least, at least something had happened before. But I mean, I don't know. It would have probably been hurt even more if it came after the tables match. Yeah, that's true. Well, the um, and uh, the the Rumble Rumble 2000 so fucking packed that it takes. But the tag title match only ends up being about two to three minutes long, and that yeah. had a, that had a decent build up to it as well. Uh, but somewhere in this, um, because we've not come across it yet is the rock promo that's um, what's in between these now between this uh, match and the tag match you get the rocks promo and he's cool hockey shirt yeah it's and do you remember what they did at the time channel four i can't remember did they cut the adverts they, they, cut, they cut to the adverts during the rocks promo fucking um, hell <laughs> I I mean, there's, a, there's a difference between doing it after a match but you couldn't i think they didn't know what they had until it was being shown like they didn't think they could, they couldn't cut to adverts because they'd miss something out. Because oh. it's all live, yeah, exactly. Like when Sky would do it, it was live without adverts at one in the morning, mm-hmm. and then it was on like the Monday night at like nine o'clock. But it was four hours long because there were adverts put in as well. Yeah, um, and I bet you they probably had ad breaks planned for the Rumble match. I mean, they put them in the next year, uh, but it was on a ninety-minute delay, and I think it was just it was already the beginning of people going, what the fuck, Channel 4? Uh, and then Channel 4 <laughs> going like, well, we don't care, we'll do what we want. Because, I mean, they, they Backlash 2000, the blurred blood, but, like, about an hour before, they had a bestiality documentary on. So, <laughs> what's, yeah, uh, where's where's the line, you know? Um, so, yeah, they cut... Uh, it, 
people who remember it, like, oh, I think the scars still run deep to this day. Because I, I made the joke as well, if that Channel 4 was showing the Euros final, they'd probably cut, you know, during the penalties. <laughs> the penalties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was actually one of Rock's funnier promos as well, where he's talking about yeah. Mosh or Crash Ollie winning it. It's and... such a good point, you know. Like, but you think like Royal Rumble 1992 at the start when Vince is like, anybody could win this. Any of these men could be champion, like Skinner. And you're like, no, Skinner is not going to be the fucking champion. <laughs> like Rock's the first one to be like, yeah, hmm, the Rumble will be difficult if only I can get past Crash Holly and Headbanger Mosh. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, exactly. There are a load of people who are there as cannon fodder. But at the same time, him just mentioning their names, I bet Mosh backstage was chuffed a bit. <laughs> it's like Bret Hart bringing up uh, El Dandy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, who are we to doubt El Dandy, you know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, after the Rock promo, uh, where do we we head to the tag title match, the, the nothing happening tag title match? Yeah, the wasted spot in a card tag match. <laughs> tag, tag matches are my favourite thing, as you know. So this felt like they just had this on the card so that the crowd could respond to the New Age Outlaws entrance. Yeah. Well, the, the that's dead over, and there's, like, nothing else to this. And the Outlaws are still heels as well at this point, but I think people just... Wouldn't think it. No, definitely not. And the the Acolytes, because um, they weren't the APA at this point, they they got the new music to the point where they came out and you were like, who the fuck's this? Oh, it's the APA. Like, oh, the Acolytes, you know, because people were used to that old ministry music that was really slow and dull. Uh, yeah, dun, yeah, dun, dun, dun. yeah, yeah, okay, not that dun, nah, nah, that they had by this point, but didn't look like the appear. Well, they were still wearing the signs on the chest and on the on the uh tights and everything as well, but they won a battle royal uh the previous month, so this match had longer build up technically than like every other match on the card. Uh, but I'm assuming Rumble t- Miss Rumble 2000 and the in- certainly the Intercontinental Belt title match went far too long and uh yeah the the sadly the apa against the outlaws was just a two-minute squash it almost seemed like it didn't even feel like a match to me that's right there's not really anything for you to critique the only thing that really stuck in my mind was jr's poor choice of words when he went bradshaw wipes out mr ass i was like (laughs) i was gonna say my my undoubted highlight of the match was mr ass's uh shorts um, oh, the thong you could see up his head, up his shorts. Yep, um, it's it's <laughs> right. I'm going to critique these. These are like sort hey, of... Miss Rumble 2000 for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were like pink mesh because he was wearing like the black mesh at this point. So this was pink mesh. It wasn't quite as see through, uh, but you could see the... it was pretty see through. It was pretty see through. Um, but the thing is that when your skin's kind of reasonably a similar color, I mean not fluorescent pink, but like <laughs> neon sort... pink. Yeah. <laughs> No, but like you know, it wasn't like the green or the brown. You're not that I studied these shorts that much, like. But um, <laughs> yes, you did. Oh, you could see the sweat patch. I'm just like I'm, every <laughs> look. I'm a pervert. I don't care. They were fantastic. Um, they were <laughs> definitely my favorite. For whatever reason, though, Billy Gunn went through a period of wrestling with his shirt on. Um, I bet you were devastated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know what you know. The last time someone did that purposely was The Rock when he was on the roids, and it was to hide his uh, roid tits. He's got gyno, didn't he? Hi. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, nothing much can be said about this match. 
Because um, it's not really a match, is it? It's no. a bunch of entrances and then a pinfall. <laughs> and maybe it is what it should have been because when you've got like Taz blowing the roof off the place, you've got the, the tables match, you've got the Miss Rumble 2000, then you've got Jericho and China who are hugely over. This again gets like sort of lost in the shuffle. Uh, they definitely match. overwrote this show. They did. They definitely did. And I think things like the Rumble match maybe suffered because of it. Uh, I think part of what the Rumble match suffers from, which I guess we'll come to when we talk about the match itself, is how specific a story they needed to tell. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely get to that. When you only when you basically make it obvious that one of two people are going to win, it kind of uh, takes a lot of the pep out of it, I think. Yeah, uh, I would say so too. And I think they learned that the next year as well because they had about seven or eight legitimate... I mean, they, they said Rikishi was a favourite. He was never going to win. But they put him in at number 30 and stuff like that. And uh, they really made it more of an open field instead of uh, instead of this year's where it was either going to be the Rock or the Big... I think, bear in mind, Taker's not there. Austin's not there. Um, and this is like the first big event without both of those in a long time. Like the first big event, like not like Armageddon. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so they really did. That's one thing you can say about the Attitude Era is that they did push new stars and they, you know, made the most of what they had. And uh, when they would bring in a new wrestler, they would largely, like from a different company, they would largely use them very well to start with, like with Taz. Mm. Uh, but sadly, you know, it wouldn't last that way a lot of the time. But uh, no. so, yeah, I don't think much can be said about the tag match except for Mason's uh, review. <laughs> Mason said, I like this one because the pink and black boom man one. Yes, Mason, you're a good man. Um, <laughs> then we'll get to the real like, this is why everyone loves this pay per view, was this next match. Yes. Um, is there anything before that? No interviews mm. or anything. I mean, they move at quite a pace on this event. I think it goes to a video packages about this match again afterwards because they're pretty much like the Acolytes come in, they lose, the crowd roll hot, the New Age Outlaws leave, and then I'm, I think it just goes to video packages, but I could be wrong. Well, it yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, and what they do, as you've mentioned, is because they, they have to introduce an Attitude Era crowd to Cactus Jack because, yes, he was there in early 98 and late 97, but between then and 2000, a huge outside crowd of new people had jumped on WWF at that point. So, like you say, with the with the Japanese footage, they did a masterful job of showing that Cactus Jack cannot be beaten in this kind of match. And or they killed even, even. Yeah. <laughs> and they referenced the, the fact that they had a street fight on Raw uh, a, a couple of years before, and he was like, that was nothing compared to what you're going to get put through tonight, mate. Um, <laughs> Aye. And, 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 I, I love this. I think this is a masterpiece, this match. Well, before we get in the match, credit to Triple H, one of the best things I think he's ever done. Uh, but, I mean, don't get us wrong, he was the first to take credit for it as well because he does on an interview. When Foley gets beat up as Mankind, gets fired, comes back, and then takes off the mask and the shirt, and it's like Superman unveiling the Cactus <laughs> Jack. Triple H oh, was like, I could have just went, you just taking the shirt off, you know, and that would have killed it. But it's like, well, yeah. You shouldn't take credit for the fact that you did the bare minimum to put something over, but it was brilliant. Like I wasn't a cunt that night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, you sold it like it was the, the biggest thing ever. And uh it was oh, I mean, everyone wanted Cactus Jack to win that night. God, I did. I remember that as a kid. I was desperate for Cactus Jack to win this match. Mm. And and the thing is as well, they could have 
done what they did. I mean, I understand that Triple H is like the big new heel that they're building the company on and stuff, but he'd previously lost the belt to Vince McMahon. So, and, and to the big show, he was already three time champion at this point. So it wasn't like, you know, it would have been anything, uh, more offensive <laughs> losing to Cactus <laughs> Jack in his match. Uh, but again, enough. this is one of those star making matches uh, for me, for Triple H. It, uh, it's probably the best match I've seen Triple H have. And like, he is pretty great in that period, but it's just a shame he becomes the like evolution Triple H like a year later. And then it's all downhill for me <laughs> from there. Like, yeah, the, um, like you say, the, the, the Foley's got the hometown crowd doing hardcore shit. Like it's a match in heaven, isn't it? And and even if you don't realistically expect there to for Foley to be in the main event at WrestleMania, which I mean he ended up being, but I mean there's so much that happened between Rumble and Mania. He could have won the belt that night and then lost it the next month in the Hell in the Cell to Triple H and lost his career as well. Um, yeah, since definitely. that's what happened, or they could have just took it all through to Mania and actually made people interested in the fucking main event that they put on instead of putting the McMahon in every corner, which completely <sighs> fucking killed it. Um, it did, didn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I very rarely with like made the anticipation of the big fight feel like it, this match definitely had it because you knew what Mick Foley, Cactus Jack was capable of in terms of violence. And um, it was more, it was a lot of waiting to see what was going to happen. And uh, unfortunately, it was a, it was slightly <laughs> put off for me when I watched it this time by something that always used to make me chuckle when I was a kid that I'd completely forgotten about. Because I associate Triple H, as nearly everybody probably does, with the various Motorhead songs that he's had. Uh, but I forgot about his old music where they had the like fake Rage Against the Machine guy who was like sang the DX song doing this one. Like the music at the start, you know, and he's like, Is this on? It just sounds like a seagull choir and like a minor key or something like, wah, 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 wah. like that's not very intimidating music to come out and have a street fight, is it? The bunch of menacing fucking seagulls singing along. Oh, we're coming at this from completely different areas. I fucking love that music. <laughs> and it's like with the set as well. Like there's someone else that I remember making me laugh. There's um it, it's a hokey but enjoyable set mm-hmm. where they have the like New York City sidewalk and there's like a taxi coming through the wall and all the proper stereotypical New York imagery. Yeah. But I really wanted that manhole cover to just open up and a toxic turtle pop out. Oh, <laughs> <go>, dude. <laughs> I did think that that taxi was going to like drop off the roof at some point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, they did a lot with uh, very little space for that rumble. And it's one of the definitely an iconic. Uh, Entrance way, but um, where was it going with that? I don't know. Yeah, oh, Triple H. I have derailed you with turtles and seagulls. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Triple H, because before it had lyrics, it was just an instrumental version. Um, but before that, his music that he had at like Backlash 99 when he uh, first turned heel was awful. Like, I need to send you a link to it. It's just te- oh, terrible. Man. I remember the really farty Ponzi music that he had first. The do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> Like, who would ever give any wrestler that music? And then I remember him having Ode to Joy. Then the next thing I remember is the Evil Seagulls. I don't remember anything in between. <laughs> well, there was DX as well. Well, yeah, yeah. But that was that's a team's music, isn't it? That's true. Um, but yeah, the, the backlash when he first turned heel and they had... It's like they, they turned him heel and then had nothing for him for about five months. So it's like, why <laughs> did you turn him heel? But 
Yeah, it's not very good music. It's probably on one of the Uncaged albums because it's one of those rare oddities. The people go, oh, I forgot about that, and then they never listen to it again. Yeah, and <laughs> and realize there's a reason why they forgot about it as well. But, um, <laughs> so this this match is my friend Harrison's favorite wrestling match of all time, and I, I can totally understand why. It's um, a fair shout. Again, not seeing in any Japanese stuff except for the the brief clips, and not really seeing that much ECW stuff. And you know, being my age at the time, I was just the anticipation for what could happen was immense for that match and Jim Ross and Jerry Laura are just fucking masterful uh, on commentary as well and the fact that one thing I love about being Madison Square Garden is it feels like a bull ring and they're in the middle you know what I mean I, it's just I like, know exactly what you mean it, there's not a bad seat in that arena and it's just they are so the focal point of everything that's going on and they take the time of it as well and build everything up and yeah uh, amazing so they do like, it innovative hardcore stuff in it as well it's really impressive like at the time i find in the attitude era there's loads of hardcore matches where it's just like i hit you with a pie tin now you hit me with a pie tin now i hit you with a bin lid and it's like proper boring but like on this like cactus puts the chair on triple h's face and leg drops it and apart from the fact he's literally sitting on his face i guess by sitting on a chair while it's on his face like but you know you bulldogs him onto a barbed wire post and like when he's handcuffed and he get dropped toe holds him onto the stairs so much there is really innovative and well thought out and good psychology in a weapons type match yeah well you know you hit the nail on the head psychology and it's how you present something you can present violence as comedy which they did oh, every yeah. week and it does desensitize you so they did have an uphill um like a bit of an uphill battle to try and get the crowd into it. And I think that, again, you don't just start with the weapons, you build it up and you, oh, te- you tease that a weapon could happen. Like I, I love when Cactus brings out the barbed wire bat and then uh, the, the referee hides it under the table. Because <laughs> it's like, oh no, you can't use that. It's like, too do- dangerous. Too dangerous. And then Cactus is looking for it and then he nails Hugo Savanovich, who's wearing a lovely sparkly uh, jacket. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. Um and the pop that because the the crowd are booing it when it gets hidden, and then you know it doesn't just get forgotten about or anything. That cat is just like, well, fuck's it gone? And <laughs> it is brilliant. And there's Hugo takes the punch and everything. And uh, I would love to hear the Spanish commentary for that. Actually, that, <laughs> when he that gets must hit. <laughs> that must be on the network, or it might even be on the DVD because they they did on the commentaries back then um, on the DVD. But uh, this match uh, was. It was the first for a lot of things, you know. The the it was the it wasn't the first time they used the thumbtacks, um, but was the fire on this? No, the fire was the next. The fire is the month after. But one thing they do do is the uh, the Rumble '99 spot where Triple H puts the handcuffs on him, and I, the crowd are really into this because they remember what happened the year before, and it's it's. Just beautiful storytelling because Triple H is getting his licks in on him and that, and you know he leads him up the alley, literally up the alley, and then the Rock comes out and actually saves fully this time. Like it's just rather than hitting him fully with the chair while he's handcuffed, high. Yeah, just brilliant. Um, and and just having the Rock come out for literally like ten seconds, like the biggest star in your company at this point, and then just making a little cameo appearance and then buggering off. It's it, brilliant. Like, I can't say enough good things about that spot. <laughs> See, I had a slight negative for that from, from my point of view. I felt like 
nothing Triple H is doing here is illegal or underhanded. So the baby face has just been saved by another baby face against the heel when the heel's not actually doing anything illegal. So it slightly builds sympathy for Triple H. That was the only downside I could see to that. Oh, no, yeah, I get what you mean. I, I think, though, the, the fact that with what happened the year before, where it was the thing that completely immobilized Foley, it did make it seem like this was going to be it now. And, aye, you know, aye. Um, and there was uh, no way out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. Uh, I think it's around this uh, time as well where Triple H takes the backdrop on the pallet. Oh, yeah, he does, and it stabs him in the calf. Oh, really badly, yeah. Um, it's a horrible puncture wound, that like. And, and there is an extra on the DVD. Uh, I don't think it's on the network where you get him seen, You see him getting stitched up and everything, but yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. How he was able to continue... Um, and, and the thing is, you always expect Foley to bleed. And yeah, you do. He doesn't actually bleed at all on this match. But I guess it's his specialty, isn't it? So they're putting over rather than the amount of damage he can take, just that like he knows what he's doing, I guess. Mm. One of the nastiest looking bits is the bit with the bricks. Like I know the the shard where it snaps on the pallet stabs Triple H and that, but there's a bit where he gets like slammed on a pile of bricks that's <laughs> just next to the wall. And I think, fucking hell, that would hurt so much. Yeah. No, I was going to say the, the band did notice that there'd been some uh, chicanery with that fucking post, though. Because um, when he when he went to hit Triple H with it, after he'd seen Foley get clearly barbed wire on it because it stuck to him, Mason was like, oh, he must have hit him so hard before that the spiky bits came off. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you're a smart kid, you. You're smarter than you realize. <laughs> yeah, too smart for his own good. He's not going to enjoy wrestling if he critiques it. Like, but, but again, though, if you make it that obvious, then, you know. Um, <laughs> um, so I love that when when Cactus brings out the uh, the thumbtacks, that's what brings Stephanie out because Triple H doesn't want Stephanie being at ringside, and um, it's going to be too violent in that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and it, it just then they knew how to make things be a big deal. So Stephanie's coming out during. The, you know, I'm really surprised that Cactus. I, I guess it doesn't suit his code of ethics or whatever. You wouldn't just strike a woman or anything like that, but. Um, no, I'm surprised the Stephanie. WCW did. Cactus would have. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, so uh, Cactus really takes the the thumbtacks as well, doesn't he? He does. I <laughs> really rolls in them like he did at the Hell in a Cell as well. Hmm. My mom being like, "Why is he covered in sequins?" I was like, "Mom, they're drawn pins." I said, Jesus Christ, what the fuck's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that you know, because if Cactus is taking a flat bump, back bump, that's one thing. But it's more when say Triple H does the pedigree, and there'll be like a rogue drawing pin, in, like in the middle just of the ring, in his eye. Oh, <laughs> just the idea of that, because even the referee has to brush them out the way, and he like hits his hand on the drawing pins, and he's like, "Oh fuck no." Um, <laughs> But that's I wouldn't what, like counting the pin. Yeah, that's what does it for. It's one of the rare occurrences where Cactus kicks out of a pedigree, um, or where anyone kicks out of a pedigree. Um, and then... there's only one sense <laughs> before you <laughs> unlocked God mode. <laughs> oh, so yeah, the the uh, pedigree and the the, uh, the thumb tax is the thing that finishes them off. And uh, just... it's good that the violence had to escalate for it to end. Yes. I agree. It's it's such a beautifully told story, um, and it doesn't rush. 
Uh, thankfully, Channel 4 don't cut any adverts during it. Um, I bet you, though, they saw some of that and were like, fuck this. Like, you know, they probably didn't Aye. expect WWF to... They were expecting probably Hogan, 80s Hogan, to come out and pose for a bit and... Uh, yeah. Not getting stabbed and pinned and that. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love about the post-match as well is that uh, Triple H goes out on the gurney, as he should, and Cactus fucking goes after him again. <laughs> I did like that. Even though that builds sympathy for him as well, I just enjoyed that. <laughs> but anyone who's married to Stephanie McMahon, even in storyline purposes, I don't think should get that much sympathy. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, it could have quite easily been test though, so you know we should thank the lucky stars. I think. <laughs> oh, Jesus, can you imagine <laughs> the, the like sliding doors moment of what if this match was test and not Triple H? <laughs> oh, so um, so after this match, we uh we go. Where do you want to get Mason's notes? Oh, please, <laughs> yes, yes. I like this weird guy because it was like the Jack in disguise. The other guy had a silly name. You can't chant. <laughs> the other guy has a silly name because no one's going to want to chant. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Like, yeah. G- give me 10 years and I couldn't have come up with anything as, uh, as brilliant as that. <laughs> He's stealing the show. He's stealing the thunder from the both of us, I think. He certainly is like yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to the the Rumble two thousand match after this. There's nothing. Is there anything between that? Sweeping up. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they go to WWF New York and they interview Linda. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you want to kill the pay per view, have a fucking interview. Boring McMahon. <laughs> go and talk to her in a fucking cafe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Jonathan Coachman, I mean, there's a, I don't know if it's during that bit or if it's an earlier bit on the Rumble, but he's absolutely getting mobbed by a drunk New York audience and he can barely <laughs> keep his concentration speaking to the camera. But yeah, uh, if you really want to bring a crowd down, uh, interview Linda McMahon. <laughs> um, Boring hell. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, the, and then we cut to Howard Finkel explaining the Rumble rules. And I think he takes a little bit of extra time this time so they can clean the ring. And uh, yeah. Jer- <laughs> I noticed that there's definitely from more sweeping. And Jerry Lawler's like, fucking hell, we've only got an hour, Because <laughs> <laughs> it was around this time, I think it was 99, where he was just because Austin and Vince got the ring loads and he had to make it clear over the top rope. If they go through the rope, that does not count as elimination. Once again, I over said, the top. Rolander, rope. you're not out yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which happens so much. <laughs> so at least this rumble. I'd, it, it's kind of weird because Rumble 99 stands alone as the Russo Rumble, I guess, where it really was just about Austin and Vince, uh, even when they weren't in the ring. Whereas this Rumble, it felt like a, what what would you say, like a showcase for new stars? Aye, that's fair. It's... It's like hard. The- like, I don't particularly enjoy this Rumble match just because... It really sags in the middle for me, this one. It does. You, yeah. you get some good fun at the start, and then it's clear there's fuck all happening until the end. There's burnout with the crowd. I mean, really, you should have put Rock and Big Show at number one and two. Um, yeah, can you imagine Big Show having to last from number two <laughs> to 30? Jesus. Yeah, even 2000 reasonably, reasonably... In sh- I mean, he was wearing a top at this point in cycling shorts, so he had to... Uh, 
you know, you were starting to get a little bit out of shape. Not that I can critique anyone's uh, shape at this point, but it was kind of weird that they would start with, um, it was D'Lo Brown and Brian Christopher, but they would usually start number one and two the past couple of years with like big names. And D'Lo Brown and Brian Christopher were very mid to lower card at this point. I mean, I guess, but also like, look at how stupidly over too cool are at this point. I agree, um, but I don't know. It's just, it would. I mean, it adds to the randomness of number one and two as well, but they would usually start with something that at least had a background behind it or a feud or something like that. This really was just as random. Like a video game rumble. <laughs> yeah, basically. And, and to be fair, I would say that this it was this rumble that really made them the stars because I think they were definitely on the rise, but I think this was like their moment when it's just the three of them in the ring and you get that wide shot of the garden. Um, oh yeah, and they do the dance—the oh. dance that everybody at school used to do. <laughs> <laughs> so by two, like at school in two thousand, like was everyone still a wrestling fan? There were, there were at this point. I mean, they died off towards the end of two thousand. But I mean, to to be fair, my interest in WWE started waning after WrestleMania two thousand because even that then I was like, oh, I mean, we'll get to that another another week. That main that event, really that main event will put you off. Like, um, aye, it did I, for me a lot. Um, but so there's nothing I hate because we're not going to go through every entrance. But besides Rikishi eliminating a few people, uh, in a row, there's not really much going on before the three of them get in the ring and start doing the dance. That's really nothing happening, isn't it? One of my favorite bits is, um, where Mosh comes out with the big furry tits. <laughs> and uh, Jerry Lawler's are like, oh, they're like May Youngs, and uh, and then May, and then Jim Ross is like, well, May Youngs furry. There's <laughs> a brilliant forgotten line which I just fucking love, um, and, and he gets a great reaction coming out of them cones. To be fair, the crowd are just like, what the fuck is this? Um, so d- during this as well, one of the if you can call it a highlight, uh, there were several wrestlers who weren't in the Rumble, and they said they were being discriminated against. Uh, the posse because they were rich, were being discriminated against, and Kai and I, because they were uh, Japanese. This was a highlight of mine. <laughs> Jerry Lola kept calling them Chinese, which I don't think you could get away with now. And so they keep getting eliminated, and oh, please take us into what happens with Taka. Taka only makes two of the three run-ins because he gets thrown <laughs> over the top rope for the second one, and he basically does like a 450-degree splash face first into the floor, doesn't he? Oh. Such a bounce when his face hits the ground. Like, And if you look closely as well, you do see a bit of blood just splat out of his nose. I'm not um, surprised. He probably had floor left behind in his face after he was taken <laughs> out. <laughs> but doesn't it show, though, how little was going on in this rumble where Jerry Lola was like, come and see the Chinese guy getting thrown over again? <laughs> they show <laughs> that clip about 10 times. Um, another it, is, it is shocking, though. <laughs> another highlight uh, for me, an early highlight, was Bob Backlund randomly coming out. <laughs> yes, then my three highlights were the dance, Bob Backlund being in it, and um, the Kai and Tai run-ins. Brilliant. Yeah, which, God, that doesn't say much about a rumble, does it? It's not like <laughs> the rumble you... match itself's pretty shit. That's why you're just looking for those funny, fun, like feel-good moments, aren't you? What do you think made it die? Because it, it really is a forgetful rumble. There's a lot of the undercard are just not that exciting. Like, who gives a fuck when guys like Viscera are coming in and stuff like that? Like... They weren't really positioned as being big top guys. 
I don't know if it's because I knew less about WWE being a WCW fan, but I was just looking at it like these aren't like I'm used to the undercard being some of the most exciting people. Mm. Then it's just like there's a bunch of just nothing happening dudes all together in the middle and you know they're not going to win. That is a huge part of it for sure. That you know they're not going to win. Um, and well, like Kane comes in near the end, doesn't he? Like there are, you need a big name or two that are in it in those parts where you're like, are they going to get eliminated or are they the ones at the end? When it's just a bunch of like nobodies with the best will in the world, you just know nothing's going to happen of that. I think they did learn from that, like over the next couple of years, to sprinkle like an Undertaker early on or whatever. Um, yeah. Just to, you know, every like five or six names have, not necessarily even someone you know who's going to win, but just like someone who's really over with the crowd. Uh, whereas like back in the day, everyone was over, um, like hugely. Um you know, so like Rumble 90, you can't get a stronger 10 people starting, like Savage, Piper, Jay the Snake, Andre the Giant, Bret Hart, you know, like it's that kind of thing. Phenomenal, isn't it? So, and then it, obviously it dips in the middle, but this one seems to dip very early on uh, for me, uh, except for, the, like you say, the occasional bit where Backlund coming out gets a pop, uh, the, the dance. The acolytes get wiped out straight away. Like they yeah. could be a sprinkle. And they like come in and the Mean Street Posse run in and I'm like, fuck the acolytes and just throw them out. And you're like, oh. I found that very uh, shocking that the acolytes did not last very long during that. The, 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 were they even paid that night? Like the tag match was <laughs> for two minutes long and the rumble appearances were under a minute each. Do you know what else like kills it for me? Is that every time someone's just about to come out, Jerry Law's like, and it's the rock, and it's not. And it's like whoever's gonna come out who isn't the rock is gonna You're be a delayed fucking disappointment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like Jim Ross and Jerry Law, whatever for how good they were throughout the, the previous matches, they just you can tell they're not feeling this rumble either. Uh because it's, it's there to serve a purpose, isn't it? Yeah, oh absolutely. And after the dance, I can't remember a whole lot except for Bob Backlund. I love that British Bulldog was in it. One of his last appearances. Oh, I forgot um, that. I, it's because he comes out just in the shit kicker bulldog where he's got the jeans and docks <laughs> on and the shirts, doesn't he? Yeah, if you look at the 2000 roster as well, there's so many veterans in there. Um, you know, when... Uh, God, I'm just thinking names on top. Like Big Boss Man and uh, like, say, like Ron Simmons and people like that. It's... There's not as many young names as you'd think. Like a lot of them have been around in wrestling for at least ten years. Oh, definitely. Point. But they go it's... through go, go through so many gimmick changes, which could be argued dilutes a lot of the wrestlers. It did for Boss Man for me, even though he still got the same name change into the like the cowardly SWAT guy. That mm. that was a downgrade for me. Like, mm. but um, oh no, I was going to say Bob Backlund and his appearance, which was definitely the part I liked the best out of this rumble. Is that like the first nostalgic here's an old legend returning in the Rumble type scenario? Certainly a surprise, yeah. Um, because everyone else was kind of announced beforehand. Like when Dory Funk came out one year or um, there were a few others like that, but certainly unannounced name. He was. I would say he was the first. I thought that. That's pretty cool because that's a like a nice trope that they keep for the Royal Rumble that people love about it now. And it's like the thing that it would get me to watch a Royal Rumble these days. Yeah, and Backlund could have went all the way back then as well. Like, I would have loved it if he'd have copped. Like, if they'd have recreated <laughs> Royal Rumble 93 with Bob Because I was always good when, like, Flair would be in a Rumble and get eliminated 
like very quickly. Like, who you want to see? <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, what I love is Macklin ends up going in the crowd to start campaigning for a non-existent presidential election again. <laughs> I don't know. I forgot a class iconic moment. Actually, Road Dog in the fetal position when he's suspended most of the match, hanging on the bottom rope. That is hilarious. Like, why haven't more people done that? Looks like he's hungover and he just does not want to be touched throughout this entire thing. Um, yeah, no, that was. <laughs> um, but I've got to say, you know, besides that, and then when The Rock eventually comes in, and even when he comes in, I can't remember a lot of the stuff he did. There's it's not it's, a lot to do. It all it all ends quite quickly towards the end. It's like when X Pac comes in thirtieth. Apart from the hilarious fact that I always thought his music sounds like it goes sex blood, sex blood, <laughs> dang, dang. and then the guitar starts. It's like it's basically the DX song, but with sex blood at the start. Um. Well, this is a couple of years before, uh, I mean, obviously 2003, it's three years before, but 2003 was really the first modern rumble in terms of it not just, you're getting in the ring, doing a couple of big moves, and then just start punching people for the next 10 minutes. Um, yeah. There seemed to be a lot more, because of names like Rey Mysterio, uh, more action going on, and it was at that sort of perfect period where there were obvious spots planned, but it didn't look planned. You know, yeah. it was just wrestlers wrestling, whereas now, I mean, God, if you watch some of the more recent rumbles, the spots are so planned that it just takes me out of it completely. Yeah, it would for me. I definitely think this one doesn't look that planned. Although some of the bits that I've got planned, I don't really enjoy. Like, they've kind of telegraphed that there's going to be the screwy finish that you get with Rock and Big Show. You know, it's like, my feet didn't touch the floor, even though they fucking did. I'm pretty sure they show you one raw, and that, like, sets up another match. But they do the whole, like, at the start, they show you the footage of, like, remember when Bulldog and Sean were in, and Bulldog thought he'd won, but he hadn't. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, raise eyebrows. You're like, yeah, you're not going to do that again by any chance, are you? Why did you fucking randomly tell us that? It's like when you start hearing the time limit, you're like, oh, I guess I know what's happening in this match. It's like one of those type scenarios. So I, they kind of telegraph that. It's kind of weird, though, because I, at the time, thought it was a legitimate mistake that they then capitalised on. Um, but obviously, it can't have been. But I, maybe I just didn't, didn't have enough faith in the big show to be that coordinated. To, oh, no, it was The Rock who hit these feet first, wasn't it's it? The Rock who fucks um, it up, yeah. So obviously, you know, just not enough faith in wrestlers being better athletes than me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if they're going to do that spot... yeah. Don't have X-Pac get eliminated and then run back in and eliminate Kane and then just stay. Like, you've already got one, like, what the fuck type elimination for the end. Yeah. So don't make one of the other last ones be even what the fucker. Yeah, the only person that can ever do that and it should never be done again is when Austin did it in 97 because he ended up winning the thing. Like <laughs> That was fucking meant. I went to the final four and all that. Yeah, and how <laughs> easily did X-Pac eliminate Kane? Yeah, ridiculously. And don't get us wrong, right? I like the one, two, three kid. I liked six. And I even enjoyed some of the Sean Waltman stuff when he's not too out of it, when he's in TNA. Mm. This kind of X-Pac period here just doesn't click for me or connect for me at all. Well, you know, that's why the term X-Pac heat was invented. Just but I, I don't really understand that. I mean, I know what they mean by the term when people use it, but he seems to be getting a good crowd reaction when he does stuff. So. Well, like, he, I thought I was just not enjoying it, but the crowd are. So how was that X Pac heat? He hadn't been. A, well, he hadn't been. It eventually would become X Pac heat by like two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Um, uh, see, I already just he did that first debut when he reappears the day after Mania, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I just 
don't know. The DX X Pack doesn't do it for me. Once he turned face, he kind of did become the. His thing was like the underdog, but his arrogance and cockiness seemed to disappear, and they made him into a absolute wet blanket once he started te- teaming with Kane. And the power of friendship will give you back your voice. <laughs> Fucking shoot me now. And there was this Just, thing I'd where... I'd rather punch myself in the dick than watch that. <laughs> well, there was a thing as well where he lost faith in himself because it was the land of the giants and all, and he didn't want Kane to help him and stuff like that. And uh, But and the thing God. is, he had broken out as a solo star, basically, even though he was in tag team. But once DX got back together as heels, it just it put a dampener on like the outlaws and X-Pac because more than ever before, they basically became lackeys. And besides the entrances, I don't think Definitely. people really cared that much. Um, mm-hmm. they, had, they had had their time by that point. Um, yeah, I would agree. Uh, and, you know, you water it down with Tori and Stephanie McMahon and and especially once like Vince and the Stooges and all that, and they make like one big massive... God, I... <laughs> Uh, one big massive thing, but yeah. Uh, so the the Rumble 2000 match, it it's unbelievable that a wrestling company can be that hot, have that many popular names, etc., and just th- that match just just very forgettable on you know and on mm. such a memorable event as well. Um, you basically just need to watch the first and last ten minutes of that Rumble match, and like <laughs> none of the rest of it. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing going on. And, but the thing is, as well, maybe to a point people were spoiled because of the amount of uh, parallel running storylines through Rumble 99. There was so much going on that maybe that was a bit too much. And maybe, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. once you've come off the cell, if a match doesn't come off the top of the cell, you kind of think it's a bit boring, like I did at the time. And, you know, it, I mean, it didn't help that it was Triple H and Nash like in 2003 uh, and you had to put Foley in as a ref to like make it interesting. Uh, but that was kind of the thing. It was, you know, a byproduct of too much, you know, uh, intric- too much, too much. Yeah. The, um, there's a lot of the hangovers of anything that goes wrong then is the byproduct of too much. And, and do you think though that uh, to a point then that maybe they did the right thing by calming this rumble down a little bit and, uh, there's a difference between calming down and being boring, though. <laughs> That's true. The middle of this rumble is fucking boring. Yeah, there's there's really nothing going on. Um, and again, though, like say, based on... Do you think Taz should have been in that rumble, or do you think that was... They debuted him very well, but I mean, I guess putting him in in the middle could have livened it up. Like, and You'd maybe just didn't need the tag titles match, and you could have had the stuff with the Outlaws and the acolytes happen during the middle of the rumble match and they go for each other rather than having the posse come and eliminate the acolytes straight away. Mm-hmm. And after a while, like kind of, I mean, I know Taka is in the hospital by the end of the match, but even for Naki <laughs> after one time, just he's like, nah, fuck this. <laughs> you know, I'll have to just give up, but um, he could have got some eliminations in. I think that would have been, <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> it would have been funny. But uh, yeah, so rumble 2000, uh, do you have any, uh, extra thoughts based on the event or I mean I remember really enjoying it as a kid I don't really remember the rumble match from being a kid just the end but then watching it as an adult you you understand why you know what I mean like do you think I don't have a lot to add to it it was just they, they very obviously knew what they wanted to do with having the rock challenge at mania and that this rumble just existed to give a reason for that to happen 
do you think it's the epitome of like rose tinted glasses with like people our age who had it on channel four definitely there's a combination of things like when you're like i miss how good it was then part of it is i miss not being old like i miss <laughs> i miss when everything didn't fucking hurt and i didn't pay taxes that's one thing <laughs> the other thing is uh, a lot of people are just remembering how much of a fucking spectacular street fight it is with triple h and cactus jack and then they remember the rock win and the royal rumble so people are like oh mint do you remember all that and they're like there's quite a bit of boring after that street fight before you get to the rock winning <laughs> do you think uh, I, I think this would have uh went down well in the garden that besides backland you could have had a few more surprise appearances brooklyn brawler <laughs> i wanted the brawler in that <laughs> Just spice it up. Yeah, he was never in a rumble match, Brooklyn Brawler. Oversight. It's a Brooklyn crime, Brawler, definitely. <laughs> Especially since they bring out like Johnny V and stuff. I'm not saying put him in the ring in like two five. No, he fucking but... explode if he got thrown <laughs> over the top. Oh, one thing I did want to add. Yeah. There's people getting eliminated in this where they just get like backdropped over the top. Like Xbox elimination. He is a death wish. You know, you just get thrown flying in the air. Don't touch the ropes, just straight over it. The flat back bump on the outside. You're like, you mad bastard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, um, the, the, I guess they did the best with what they could, but I just get to a point where you can't make it that interesting. Um, right. but I do this- enjoy the, this sounds like we're going to shit on it, but it's just that it actually, the rumble brings a bit of a dampener to it. To anyone listening to this, I doubt anyone listening will have not seen this rumble because it's so iconic if you're our age. But like, definitely give this a watch. It's definitely worth a watch. There's much more good than there is bad. Mm-hmm. And as well, like, give me 2000s rumble over, like, say, you know, the Shez women's rumble, <laughs> which was not I, I good. Don't, don't even remember if I've seen that or not. Yeah, or, or over a few of the rumbles of the past couple of years. I mean, the, the Lesnar one where it's just brain everyone is worth a watch. I think that that was one of the better rumbles they've done over the past 10 years. Um, cool. But it, it was also booked by, like, the Hurricane and Lance Storm. Um, no wonder it was good, you know. So, it, two people I've got a lot of time for, as you might expect. Yeah, and and for you, someone who doesn't watch like any new WWE, I would say that Rumble match is worth a watch because it is just Lesnar bringing people throughout the and then Edge shows up later on as well to, uh, to everyone's surprise. Um, fun. I've seen it, the clips of when he did that comeback, you know, there's like videos of people in pubs and the pub guns raj when you hear that you think you know me <laughs> boom a massive explosion yeah amazing um but yeah the 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 rumble 2000 because rock does a promo at the end of it as well which i think is not the way to go off air um yeah because big show tries to attack him as well and just like mm. i didn't like that either he comes in like beats him up and throws him out and he's like well it's already over anyway like, mm. always mm. end your pay-per-view while the crowd are going mental i think yeah. At um, least nobody's pointing at a fucking WrestleMania sign. <laughs> yeah, well done. Well done. That is a thing that is going to happen. <laughs> I fucking hate that. It's like there's rules where, like, if you're the last two people, you have to stop and look, point at the sign. Like, yeah, 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 corporate brand and whatever. Fucking hell. This is meant to be a match. I'm, I'm almost certain that it was either this year or last year because they start CGIing things on people's entrances now. Um, like Rid- the birds that fly out of Riddle's arse and stuff like that. The um, the mania sign apparently was CGI, so you had people pointing to literally nothing. Oh, <laughs> ultra grown. Yep. And especially now when wrestlers come out and like ironically say, oh, you know, it's a sign pointing season and stuff like that. It's like, you know, it's terrible. Um <laughs> 
Like, if you won the biggest match of your career, you're not going to go silent and stoic and just point at a sign. You're going to go... No, you jump around in Lex Luger-esque <laughs> amounts of ticker tape. <laughs> the, yeah, that's definitely what's needed. Uh, more more balloons are needed in Russian, I think. Yep, more glitter, more confetti. Mm-hmm. Um... <clears throat> So yeah, Royal Rumble 2000. Uh, I guess if you, I could leave you on Mason's note for the Royal Rumble match itself. Please do. I like it when the scary bum band out with the two divvies. <laughs> yep, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mason is wonderful. Mason needs to do commentary on WWE or at least like do official reviews, I think. <laughs> get, I think we'll make a star of him. <laughs> get, yeah, get him on those post-show panels and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> He's going to be cutting, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, I'm looking forward to his opinions for the next one when we do Sold Out 2000. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so, so we are doing <laughs> WWF and WCW pay-per-views and Sold Out 2000 is coming next and I cannot wait. <laughs> Oh, mate. It's a, <laughs> you've got some shit to see. Yeah. And what what month was this? Was this January? Uh, January. January as well. Yeah. And uh, lots of fallout from Sold Out 2000. Um, <laughs> Fucking loads. Yeah. Um, so besides that, uh, we have... Uh, what else do we have coming up? Well, we're going to be doing the Great American Bash 92, which I say we're going to be doing like that betrays that we're actually recording this before we record that one out because by the time you're hearing this you've already heard the great american bash 92 but you know go back in the archives <laughs> outside of that i don't know what, we, what didn't you want to do in your house too yeah we're leading we're in july now we're leading up to uh in your house to the uh the nashville uh pay-per-view uh, the event that if there's two pay-per-views that I think just are right up Tempest Street being a country artist um, <laughs> are in your house too because of With My Baby Tonight and the proper redneck you know southern crowd as well all in cowboy hats tuned tobacco and that um, <laughs> not that I'm like just trying you've to even gimmicked the crowd yeah <laughs> oh no it's the thing I don't think they are gimmicked I don't think Vince was ready for this actual you know genuine <laughs> southern crowd um, and uh, in your house uh Unforgiven, which was in uh, Greenville, Carolina, South Carolina, with um, Sawyer Brown. And, um, you know, again, a very Southern audience for that. And uh, they brought- What a great band Sawyer Brown were. Mm-hmm. And they even bring out the Rock and Roll Express and stuff like that. But yeah, In Your House 2, definitely coming up very, very soon. Because uh, I believe that was the 23rd of July, 1995. Because um, uh, I've seen it on the back of videos loads, basically. That's why I know. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, I never remember dates me. Like. <laughs> and uh, yeah, very, uh, a very important part of Jeff Jarrett's career as well. And uh, we'll happily talk about Jeff Jarrett uh, in a positive uh, sense. Any day. All yeah. the time, because he's wonderful, as is his podcast. Um, you know, he's such a great talker and great storyteller and so much history as well. Like you showed me the, uh, what was it? Who were the football team? Oh, the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee yeah, he's Titans. Just, he's just done a podcast about that now as well. Oh yeah, and uh, we'll go and check that out. We're not going to. We're not your mum. You know. <laughs> yeah, do go and listen to that. Like very interesting. I've do been go- enjoying this podcast because it's hard to get TNA history stuff elsewhere. Yeah, listen. To- <laughs> and more on that to come. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, listen to that then watch the clip. But also dig through the archives that we have as well because we're starting to cover quite a range of events, which is uh, which is quite fun. Um, so yeah. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and from myself and Tempest, we'll see you all next time.